0: Let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these today who have now gathered seeking to know more of you and and the sanctifying power of prayer through your Holy Spirit. I pray you'll enable me to teach your truth if you've bestowed that truth to us by Jesus Christ, your son. And let these lessons be what we seek of you this day. And always, prayers that will give us joy and delight as we're drawn near to you. Let prayer also be our petition to you as you deliver us in days of trouble. And let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this, your church, as we work in the next weeks to blossom in spiritual fruit for your purposes, and so also to be worthy of your calling in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, this is going to be more of an introductory kind of a class. Um, I was talking to a pastor. Uh, that I know who's been in ministry for about 50 years. And I asked him some questions um, about prayer. And I was wondering, you know, was I really qualified to lead this class? And his answer was, you know, in all the years of my ministry, I've yet to meet a believer who is satisfied with their prayer habits or their prayer life. And it's not surprising because we're still pilgrims in, in uh, many ways. You know, we have lessons to learn. It's It's not depressing because struggling with these matters is is part of the way we learn. What is surprising and depressing when I think about this is the sheer prayerlessness that characterizes much of the church today. You know, it's out of step with Scripture in many ways. It's, it's uncontrolled by thoughtful reflection um, on the prayers of Scripture. I just, I just used uh, some prayer from uh, Scripture in, in my opening prayer here. And even so, at first I was uh, leery of taking on this eight-week course. Then then some unusual things began to happen. You know, um, daily it seemed like prayer would be a subject. You know, Matthew had asked me to do this. I said, well, I'll think about it. These things kept coming up, and they kept coming up as I read my Bible. They kept coming up on Facebook, of all places. Um, They were posted in conversations there. It, It got to be on my mind constantly. And then I read... In Romans 12.12, uh, 12, which I think is up there, or going to be up there. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Sounds like an imperative to me. So I prayed. I started thinking about my prayers a couple of years ago. You know, before COVID happened, we had the lockdown. After watching a movie on Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, maybe you've seen it. You know, there was a scene there that showed him with cards and letters laid out on his bed as he knelt there to pray. And he would pray for everyone that sent him a letter or a card. And he just went through them one at a time. He had a routine. I thought, well, do I need a routine? So, you know, I started a book on prayer. And I'll probably refer to this uh, during the course of the lectures that follow. I can't remember the, the author uh, that got me doing this. He laid out a series of questions to consider. I've made them into bookmarks. I'm going to ask Mark uh, if he could hand those out now to everybody. It's some questions to ask yourself. You know, I'm still working on prayer. I have the same questions about prayer that applies that the apostles had when, when they asked Jesus how to pray. And I expect uh, to be as much of a student here during this time as, as you are as we go through this class together. I'll be using a series of lessons that were created by D.A. Carson on the prayers of Paul. You know, this past year, I lost two spiritual mentors, John and Dave Kunsky. So we all know about John. Let me tell you about Dave first. He passed away in February. He was 84, 85. And he's been on my mind for the past year, and, and he probably will be forever. I met Dave at The Rock. He was in charge of prayer down there. That was prayer ministry. Uh, this is when the rock first started. And, and I was in the photo ministry. He was um, he commanded an LST in Vietnam. You know, they took it was a flat-bottom ship. They could take up rivers and resupply different units. Um, and of course I was in the Marine Corps. So uh, you know, we got together, we exchanged some sea stories, you know, those lies that veterans uh, embellish their time with, that they were in the service with. Um, But eventually, you know, he asked me to join him. uh, He'd pray for me, and then he'd ask me finally to join him uh, teaching down at MCRD. He ministered to the recruits down there through Campus Crusade for Christ. And he would call me every week to pray for me. And if I called him, his phone always said, you've reached Dave, the giant killer. And he always ended our conversations after he prayed for me. He'd say, I love you, Marine. so deal with it. So last year at the age of 84, in February of last year, actually, he's in the hospital. He had a, a series of medical issues, and, and cancer had crept up, and it spread very rapidly. And one Saturday he called me to tell me, this is probably going to be the last time that I'm able to talk with you because the doctors have told me I have about three weeks to, to live. And then he said something that really stunned me. He said, Pete, I wanna pray for you one last time. I'm thinking to myself, who does that? Shouldn't I be praying for him? That's been on my mind for the last year, especially this past August through, through October. And you know, I thought about that for a couple months and then one day John, when he was, when he was still with us, he was preaching and he mentioned something that answered the who does that question. Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is still praying for us. You may want to read John 17, but we also have a more immediate prayer. I saw it in Luke uh, 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. And when you've turned and strengthened your brothers. And when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. When John was in the hospital, I talked to a few of you comparing notes on prayer. And what I noticed, what I remember is everyone said they're praying more now than they had been before. And I was too. I had another realization. It takes, does it take a crisis to enliven my prayer life? And, you know, is it going to wane like after 9-11? Is it going to wane, or has it waned since 15th of October? And let me ask you all a rhetorical question. I was listening to Vince Gill. He was singing a song, Go Rest High Up On That Mountain. And one of the lines says, your work on Earth is done. And it made me think about John. And I wondered, was his work on Earth done here? Had we become too comfortable letting John do all the work? And sometimes, you know, I'd come over here, I'd see him walking around the parking lot. He was on patrol. It turned out, I, you know, I asked him when he, he said, yeah, he's, I was walk the perimeter praying. You know, was I disappointed that my prayers weren't answered the way I wanted them to, to be about uh, John? And afterwards, had thoughts, you know. Should I look for another church, or should I just spend my time on Sundays down at MCRD? You know, And have any of you pondered any of this? You know, and then I thought about a verse that was written. I always kind of use this down there. It's kind of funny, I think. Well, it's funny to me, anyways. This was written before there was a Marine Corps. I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand on the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So here I am, I feel like I'm in the breach. And you know what, I'm glad to be here. I hope we can come to terms with these questions and others as we contemplate praying for the next seven weeks. You know, there's another verse that always gives me pause. I ask myself, how can I start praying without considering this? It's in Isaiah 59, verses one and two. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That stops me. Remember this, though, in Romans 8:26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses so that we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us. Even as he convicts, he helps us in our weaknesses. So I'm going to depend on him as he leads us in sanctification. As we grow in gospel delight through the word of God, I pray that we'll also grow in gospel clarity. I've often noted that when Jesus would pray, it was mostly in solitude. He went away to pray. Even in Gethsemane, he separated himself from his uh, disciples. These are the same men that had asked him how to pray. Um... I'm kind of a private person with prayers, it's, so we'll, we'll see how that goes too. How did Jesus pray for long periods, though, I wondered? How, you know, how does he go long in the disciples' prayer that he gave us goes short? We have a lot of questions to ponder. I hope the goal of this class is to draw us closer to God and that he's going to give us more strength and direction to improve our praying, and in so doing, he'll give us more assurance, more faith, more certainty as we glorify God. You know, in Isaiah 45, 5 to 7, it says, I'm the Lord, there's no other. Besides me, there's no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I'm the Lord, there's no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. You know, when we contemplate our Creator and realize He's in a class by Himself, we we have to be moved to worship. Any contemplation of God, any study of His character, in fact, has gone astray if it doesn't lead us to worship Him in spirit and truth. You know, God is much greater than anything that we can conceive of, and He should make us. That should make us revere Him in glory. Too often, I think. Um, We think too little of what he's like, of his wisdom, his knowledge, his power, his love, his transcendence, his mystery, his glory. And yet one of the foundational steps of knowing God and one of the basic demonstrations that we know God is prayer. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God means for us to seek him by searching the scriptures and prayer. We're seeking God, and when we pray, both the word of God and prayer will give us wisdom and principles for sober evaluation and the choices we need to make as we discern the will of God in our lives. Seeking God should be the main and central business of our lives. Then, all these things will be added. Seek first, not just in sequence, but as a priority. Prayer is the one thing we can do at any time. You know, I think sometimes about the recruits down there. I'm assuming most of you know that I, I teach down at MCRD on a rotating basis with a team. And one of the things I realize is they don't have a lot of time. They got 30 minutes at the end of the day, and then they spend most of their time cleaning, getting ready for the next day. We got the time. I'm always trying to figure out how I can get through to them about lack of time. Anyways, I have a video that, I, that uh, comes with this course, and I'm, we're going to play it right now, I hope.
1: To pray as John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples. One of the ways you can teach people to pray is by studying the prayers of those who know much about the school of prayer. So one could study, for example, the prayers of Daniel, or the prayers of Moses, or the prayers of David. But in this study, we're going to fasten on some of the prayers of Paul in order that we can learn a little better how to improve our own prayer lives. In this session, we're going to focus on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 22. We do not drift into holiness. We do not accidentally fall into disciplined praying. We do not somehow learn to pray unless we set aside time for praying. So there are practical steps that we can take to improve our praying. Uh, Things, for example, so that we avoid mental drift. We can concentrate on on the text at hand, on the praying that we're trying to do. My father was a, a prayer warrior who, who prayed at least 45 minutes every day. I could hear him in his study on his knees praying. One of the ways he impeded mental drift was by actually vocalizing his praying. That kept his mind from wandering. You know how it is, You, you start off praying and And if you're doing it entirely mentally, you start off in your mind saying, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder what we're having for dinner tonight. And and, no, 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 I don't mean to say that. I mean to go back to what I'm actually praying about and so forth. So there are all kinds of practical tips that a person can learn about praying. But the most important thing is to focus on what we're praying and why we're praying it. And this passage sets out a certain kind of framework. Paul begins by telling us to rejoice in the Lord and to pray continually. That's an interesting combination. Paul goes so far as to say, this is the Lord's will for you. The reason, of course, is because if we really are rejoicing in the Lord, that is an indication that we trust Him and we are happy with what He sends our way. If instead we're whining and complaining, then as in Old Testament times, that's a sign of a kind of idolatry. It means that what the Lord is giving you, you refuse to submit to. You want something else instead. So there is a necessity in prayer to set a framework of thanksgiving, of quiet rejoicing in the Lord. And it's in the context of such thankfulness that it becomes easier to pray all the time, not only in set periods, but uh, when we're walking, when we're driving, we pray for people we think about. We wake up in the night and and intercede with the living God for people in the church who need the grace of God manifested in his life. It is important to link together gratitude to God and continual praying all the time. Anything less is a kind of idolatry. Moreover, Rejoicing is set in Scripture not only over against grumpiness and me first whining. It's set over against a certain kind of legalism. Rejoicing is characteristic of those who really do know the gospel and and understand how glorious it is, how wonderful it is to be free from the guilt of sin, to to be forgiven people, to be able to look God in the face, as it were, through the eyes of faith. and be so delighted to be a blood-bought, adopted child of God. This is a wonderful thing. And and you, you gauge everything with the eyes of eternity. Uh, that's very different from, from a view of religion where it's all a matter of doing certain things or not doing certain things. Uh, of course, there are things that a Christian will do or not do, but this is out of the framework of gratitude before God for the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ offered up on our behalf. It makes all the difference in the world in the framework with which we approach the living God in prayer. But what I especially want to draw your attention to in this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." That is stunning. It asks us the question implicitly, what do you pray for? Do you pray for the sanctification of people? That is, that they demonstrate more and more holiness in their lives. Or do we pray primarily for safety and travel? that we get the next mortgage, that we pass the exams, uh, that we have a good time, uh, and oh yes, in general, uh, bless this church, bless us. But, But then it's bless us somehow with blessings rather than bless us with sanctification. But a Christian who knows the mind and heart of God knows that salvation comes to us not only to forgive us our sins, legally so that we have a right standing before God. But God is interested in making us as holy as pardoned sinners can be, this sort of the consummation, and one day to make us perfectly holy with resurrection bodies in the new heaven and the new earth. So there ought to be a priority given to that kind of prayer. That is prayer for our sanctification in mind and body, in imagination, in word and thought and deed. Imagine how our praying would increase if we prayed for members of our family and members of our church and people we know that they would grow in holiness and think through what that means in the choices they make and what they read, in the conversation that they use, in their imagination, what they do with their fantasy life uh, in their love for the Word of God so that they are drawn to it like bees to honey. It's, it's nourishing, it's, it's sweet, it, it's informing us about God. We, we learn more and more of what it means to be holy. So now we start praying for things like that instead. If we start praying that God may sanctify us, not just a little bit, but as the text says, through and through, which embraces every element of our life and our personal relationships, our, our work, our habits, our priorities, what we do with our money, with our time, so that our whole desire is to be conformed to Christ, then this will transform our praying. Whether we pray long or short, for many minutes or a few minutes, this brings our praying into increasing line, with what the apostle Paul prays for. We'll see in this series that Paul comes back to this sort of concern in prayer again and again, whether he uses these words or not. In fact, Paul addresses God as the God of peace who gives us these things, because this God of peace who reconciles us to God by removing the wrath that He rightly feels toward us because of our sin, removed by the death of Christ, which turns aside God's wrath and cancels our sin, He wants us to enjoy not only this peaceful relationship with Him, but to enter into the serenity, the peacefulness, the well-being, the flourished life the shalom, the peace in that sense, the completeness, the wholeness that belongs to the children of God, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of challenge and stress and and difficulty, precisely because we trust this God, we know His Spirit operating within us to transform us, to give us hearts that pant after the living God. This God of peace, this God who is the source of of all peace, uh, is the one we approach as we ask Him to sanctify us through and through. Note, too, how this ends. All of this is to the end that we be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, finally, perfection reached, utterly blameless. And this, through the One who calls us, and He is faithful, He will do it. In other words, there are times when you pray for something, And quite frankly, you don't know whether the Lord will give it or not. It's not something that the Lord has promised to give. So you ask, and you're prepared to accept the Lord's no. But how wonderful it is to pray for something where we know what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is that we be holy that we be thankful. So we're praying that the Lord will do what He says He will do in the lives of people, and we are assured that the one who has promised it will do it because he is faithful. God can no more reject a prayer like that than He could somehow disown Himself. Christ can no more turn aside from a prayer like that than He could reject the will of God. The will of God is that we be grateful, that we be increasingly sanctified, through and through in preparation for the Lord's return on the last day. Thus, we begin to learn what to pray for by listening to this and others of the prayers of Paul.
0: So I'll probably be repeating some of the things that he already uh, said. I did wanna point out something he, he brought up about routine. Um, a couple years ago, the book that I was reading, in fact, um, The Cards That You Got, um, I started using them for this book, and, and I wrote, in the front here, I wrote those 11 things. And then I, then I made a list of everyone. This goes back maybe 50 years, people that I've known, people that have been friends. Um, and a lot of them, I've lost contact. I don't even know if they're still alive. And uh, But I pray for them anyways. And then every day I, I sit down and, not every day, I think it's five days a week or so, um, I have this routine. I sit down here and I list, I list things that I want to pray. And I find out as I'm listening, listing them in the book, I'm, I'm already praying for them. So, you know, how about this? I was thinking about this. Last week, you know, I grilled some steaks for dinner and I got everything on the table Ann and I sat down, I said grace, and then Ann continued praying for God to intercede in healing people in our prayer list. After a couple minutes, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, come on, the food's getting cold. (laughs) And then I thought, you know, how can I think like that and I'm supposed to lead this class in prayer? (laughs) You know, have you ever been there? Have you ever been like a, like a nasty little boy that rings the doorbell and runs away? <laughs> you know, what's the greatest need of the church? A pastor, more programs, more zeal for evangelism, more music, more outreach, more technology? Who's being served by technology? Does it serve us or do we serve it? You know, before we started, uh, Ben mentioned about putting a a wire cross and having a camera that you know, could follow you around whoever was up here. Kind of, I asked him if it was like the Super Bowl or something. You know, They have those things over the stadium. But, you know, is that what we need? How about above all else is our need to know God, more of God, a deeper and better knowledge of God? And that brings us back to seeking God. You know, I, w- I was talking to someone about Romans 11, uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was insisting that we're grafted into Israel. You know, Romans eleven twenty six 26, and, well, that whole chapter about us, the Gentiles being grafted in. And um, so I asked him, I said, well, what's the root that we're grafted into? And he said, well, it's Israel. I said, no, the root's Jesus. Jesus is the root of Israel and the root of those grafted in. And, you know, he'd never thought of that before. And the, the point I'm, I'm trying to make here is, like him, we know we're not as saturated in the word of God as we could be because God doesn't always saturate our priorities. And, you know, prayer, and I, and I hope this becomes the uh, title of this class. In fact, I'm, I'll just make it the title of the class. <laughs> prayer is a measure of a person as nothing else is. And it, it's the language of faith. Do you delight in praying? Do you have a sense of meeting the living God or that you're undertaking a work that he's assigned? You know, As I've mentioned, I'm, I'm in this class to learn too. I'm hoping for some practical instruction on praying while meditating on, on some of Paul's prayers. You know, God's will is for us to be reformed by his theology. Our ethics, our practices, that's all part of the sanctification we're going to study, as, as he mentioned, Paul's prayers. They're going to be a template, I hope, for developing our prayer habits. So let's begin by looking at, at what he said here. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 23. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ, in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. So, you know, Paul here, he's given us a series of simple imperatives in this first prayer. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Test. Test everything, hold fast. And you know, I love that, him, he will hold me fast. Remember that. And abstain from all evil. So, you know, Paul begins with rejoicing. Trust in the Lord, know the gospel of forgiveness. You know, and as D.A. Carson, he pointed out, not rejoicing is similar to complaining, which can become a type of idolatry. You want something else. Rejoicing is linked to gratitude. And, and, you know, I think gratitude is the genesis of the framework for praying. That's probably the, the major one thing that I think about when I pray is, is the gratitude that I have for what I know I don't deserve. It gives us joy, and it gives us contentment in Jesus. You know, we receive the word of God in affliction, but Christ nullified that on the cross. We've been reconciled to God eternally, never to be separated from his love. That was something, you know, a long time ago, I used to think about that. Um, I can remember riding a helicopter uh, in Vietnam, about five minutes, and uh, it was my first uh, combat. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, where am I going to be five minutes from now? Am I going to be separated from the love of God for eternity? And I wasn't a Christian at the time. I thought I was, but, you know, my dog tag said Baptist, but, but I wasn't. Gratitude. We received the word of God in affliction. That was affliction. but we've been reconciled to God eternally, never to be separated from his love, as I've said. And it's all made possible by Jesus. It's Jesus who reconciles us to our creator, and he removes the sin that condemned us. He removes it onto himself. So pray continually. You know, how many of you here have ever watched the movie uh, Fiddler on the Roof? Do you remember? I always think about this. The character Tevier. Zero Mustell. He's the milkman. He's leading his cow around the, the village that he lives in. And all the while he has this ongoing conversation with God. You know, we're we're summoned by God to petition him constantly, even persistently, with what we need. And that may include our petitions for others. But, you know, how can we know that they need prayer if we're not informed? You know. A couple of weeks ago, my small group, there's, there's four of us, and uh, best man at my wedding, Pat Patton, some of you may know him. He's, he goes to a different church than us, but he told me Wayne Kindy, his pastor, had come down with COVID. And, you know, I was thinking, I wasn't praying for, for Wayne until Pat told me. So, you know, if prayer's needed and God wants us to pray, don't hide from the need i mean let's begin soonest let's take it to the lord in prayer as soon as we find out these things and not put it off will god not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night will he delay over, long over them i tell you he will give justice to them, to them speedily nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth you know that last sentence it stops me, and some of you may not know this, but it stops me like Ernie Ladd and Earl Faison at the line of scrimmage. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, goes on, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So having instructed the church to rejoice, to pray and give thanks, Paul goes on to the God of peace. God, the only one who possesses peace, peace, the originator of peace, he sanctifies us. He sanctifies believers to give us peace. And, you know, in responding to the Holy Spirit to repent and believe, I found much contentment. There's peace there, and it's poured out to us. It's God's will that we're sanctified. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He does that so that we're moved, even prodded to pursue holiness and godliness. And you know what? God's faithful to finish what he started. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. You know, remember David, Psalm 51, 11 and 12, his prayer, is that up there? Yep. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, can you feel the, the fear? I mean, here's a man who faced down a giant in mortal combat, and now he's got this greater fear. And he, he's a man after God's own heart, and he has this fear of losing the Holy Spirit. It's chilled him, and he knows he deserves it. You know, I, I was listening to R.C. Sproul the other day, and he, he talked about this a little bit. He was talking about parables. And you know how the the parable of the, the seeds that were sprinkled on different kinds of ground? And afterwards, the disciples asked him, well, what does that mean? And he says, well, it's given to you to know, but you know, for other people, it's not given to them to know. And then Sproul pointed back at a, a parable in the Old Testament about David. So Nathan comes to David after he's, Sin with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And um, he gives him this parable about a, a guy who had a little lamb. And David is really angry afterwards. You know, he wants to do something about it. He, he doesn't get it. it. It wasn't given him to know until Nathan pointed at him and said, you're the man. And that took David right to the Psalm 51. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, what's David doing? He he, immediately, he's convicted and he repents. Exactly what we should be doing. You know, have you ever considered when you enter into prayer, you're like Moses before the burning bush? You're on holy ground with the creator of what I call the cosmic zoom. You know, everything from the smallest neutrino to the endless heavens, all existing matter, space considered as a whole, he's the cosmic creator. We're on holy ground there. Quench not the Holy Spirit. It's been given to guide you. Don't lose that attitude. Uh, Don't lose that by an attitude of insouciance because I'll tell you, this is serious to God. The joy of salvation. Now, there's a cause for rejoicing in peace. It's a peace that the unbeliever doesn't and can't even understand. Test, hold fast, abstain from evil. You know, the prayer that, uh, that Jesus gave the disciples, lead us not in tempta- into temptation. I always think about well, who's, who's doing the leading. You know, I like to pray, it, protect me from temptation and deliver me from evil. And I, and I tell you, I have to admit, evil scares me. And have you ever reckoned with the capacity of evil in yourself? We talked about this in the the men's group the other night. This is possibly the most neglected of human self-insights in our age. The ability to reckon our own capacity for evil has been diluted, and it's seldom acknowledged. And and today, I suspect, even in the past, it was also avoided. You know, we all have it. We've all committed evil. God calls it sin. We all may again, you know, Because without Christ Jesus, we have the venom of asps, we run to shed blood, and there's no fear of God. When we sin, even as believers, we've lost our fear of God. So, Lord, deliver me, protect me, hold me fast. And finally, Paul asked for them to pray for us, to open doors to evangelize, to declare the mystery of Christ, because God's faithful to accomplish his purposes in response to the prayers of his people. We see, see the same thing in Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, the other day, I googled how to cook Brussels sprouts. In, in case you haven't figured it out, since I've been retired now, I'm kind of in charge of making dinner In the evening, so I had these Brussels sprouts. I wasn't sure how to cook them, so I Googled how to cook Brussels sprouts. But you know, at the same time I was Googling, I was thinking, you know, I guess you can't Google how to pray. But again, the Bible is a better resource than Google. You know, what practical advice can we start with? You know, as we begin to contemplate this for the next. Seven weeks of classes. That's what I hope we will accomplish. That we'll be Googling how to pray, so to speak. So, you know, much praying is not done because we don't plan to pray. We don't drift into spiritual life. We don't drift into disciplined prayer either. And we don't grow in prayer unless we plan to pray. A lot of things that Carson was talking about. You know, stated in other ways, a big reason we don't. Pray, as he said, as we don't plan. But, you know, I think it's even better to pray with brevity, like Tevier than rarely. But at length. You know, baby steps first. I can also tell you there's many times I dive into study, even, even this presentation, I found myself doing this without praying first. After a few minutes, I go, oh, wait a second. I need to pray. I'm on holy ground. I need to refocus here and slow down. I'm going to adopt practical ways to impede mental drift. He talked about mental drift. You know, write down what you want to pray about. Vocalize it. Pray over scripture. Model biblical prayers. Pray through the Lord's prayer. Well, the disciples' prayer. All the while thinking through the implications. You know, when it starts off, hallowed is is thy name, what does that mean? Holy is your name. Write down what you want to bring before God. This, this keeps <laughs> this keeps you from uh, hoping that Cincinnati beats the Rams today. Find a prayer partner. You know, prayer is intimate. If you know how to pray, consider mentoring somebody. The disciples observed Jesus' prayer, and they, they sought out instructions on how to pray. Choose models. I'm going to ask somebody here to pray at the end who I... I'd love to model my, my prayers on, on his. Um, listen to others praying. Dave Kunski was was that for me. This doesn't mean you should copy them, though. Everyone's different. Listen to the seriousness of their prayer. Their use of scripture as they seek goals that are already portrayed in the scripture, their mix of contrition, of boldness, of humbleness. Develop prayerless. You know, this is a memory aid. When there are large groups of people or prayer requests, we're going to need a prayer list. Mingle praise, confession, and intercession. But when you ask God to intercede, try to tie as many requests as possible to scripture. Godliness rests in submission to the the Almighty's will, not intercession that seeks to change his will. Do I still want John here? Absolutely. But then I realized, you know, the real work to seek and know God demands that we wrestle with God. You know, reminds me of Jacob struggling with God. And he says, you know, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. As a church, we've been doing this since August, you know. In some ways, I hope that it's a new normal for us that we continue to struggle this way, that we always wrestle with God to know him. You know, and, and this is a subject we're gonna to return to later in, in other sessions. But you know, Christian prayer is marked decisively by petition because this form of prayer discloses the true state of affairs. It reminds the believer that God is a source of good and that we're utterly dependent on Him to stand in need of Him for everything. You know, it's important to remember that prayers are not magic. God's personal as well as sovereign. We ask God, our Heavenly Father, for things because he's determined already the many blessings that are going to come to us through prayer. It's his ordained means of conveying his blessings. The Christian who's diligent in prayer learns what Paul learns when he writes in Romans 8:26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If God's the one who works in you to will and act, then of course, he's the God who, by his Spirit, is going to help us in our praying. You know, if you're in any form of spiritual leadership, work at your public prayers. You know, it's said that this is a, a pedagogical opportunity. Think it through in advance, in detail, make notes. And remember, John always started... His sermons, and you may have noticed I did too, with what's become a key phrase for me at MCRD, Holy Spirit, I pray you will enable me to present your truth according to your word. And finally, pray until you pray. You learn to pray by praying. To enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it, and eventually we'll come to delight in God's presence. You know, I'm looking forward to that. I pray you are too. I want to end this uh, with this passage from Romans 5, First five verses, I think it, I think it really dovetails. To, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in hope, in the hope of glory and of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into us, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know, I guess I'm a little over time here. I have some group questions I was gonna hand out, but we'll wait Wait till, uh, I'll give it to, uh, I think Mark's gonna do next week because I'm gonna be down at MCRD, so I'll give it to him. I am gonna ask now though that, uh, I'm going to ask Ray to pray for us. Closing prayer.